Welcome to the Art and Science of Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or are seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. And in this second series of the podcast, we're focusing on joy superpowers, special powers each and every one of us can cultivate and use in our lives. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honor to be your host. In each episode, I'll be inviting our guests to share their words of wisdom on a specific joy superpower, whether that's in relation to personal growth, genuine belonging, positive impact, or simply having fun. So welcome to episode four of the Joy Superpower series. Today, I'm going to be talking with Mel Schwartz, and together we are going to explore the Joy Superpower of authenticity. Mel is a psychotherapist, marriage counselor, author, 2X TEDx speaker, podcaster, and leadership consultant. He earned his MSW from Columbia University in New York City and Master of Philosophy from Lancaster University in England. Mel is one of the first contemporary practicing psychotherapists to distill the basic principles of quantum theory into therapeutic approaches, which enable people to overcome their challenges and to live their fullest potential. Mel's first book, The Art of Intimacy, The Pleasure of Passion, broke new ground in illuminating the path to joyful relationships and has benefited countless people. His newest book, The Possibility Principle, How Quantum Physics Can Improve the Way You Think, Live and Love, illuminates a radical new way of thinking, enabling you to thrive in your life. As Mel also has a podcast, we decided to do something different this week and create a shared podcast episode which we can both use to talk about the power of authenticity. So sit back and enjoy our casual chat. Mel, perhaps you can kick us off by describing for our listeners what being authentic means to you. When I first wrote an article on authenticity, Andrew, I looked up the word authentic. Notwithstanding it's a definition in the dictionary, and I came across to authenticate like a piece of art. And mm-hmm. to authenticate is to assure that something is not counterfeit, that it is in fact genuine. And so I began to think about, well, in our personal growth as individuals, what do we need to be not counterfeit, to be genuine and worthy of belief? trustful, worthy of belief, big concept. Mm. Find someone worthy of belief. In other words, we can believe that what they're saying and expressing, they truly believe that there isn't a manipulation there to get us to like them or approve of them or do business with them, but they're sharing their genuine self. Now, I know your work is around the art of joy. Correct. As we dive into authenticity, I want you, of course, to feel comfortable and welcome to shedding light or illuminating how you see joy in regard to authenticity. But just a comment here before I turn this over to you. As a child, my mother always used to say that she couldn't say anything that she didn't believe to be true. Mm. She might withhold things that were true out of sensitivity, but if it came out of her mouth, it was her truth. 
And her example of this is when she became elderly and she and her friends were grandmothers, if someone would show her a baby picture and the picture of the baby was, it was not a beautiful baby. So she couldn't say, now that's a beautiful baby. <laughs> but what she would do is she'd look at the picture and she'd say, now that's a baby. She couldn't lie. And for her, that was authentic. Um, your thoughts on that aspect of authenticity and references to joy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's one of the dilemmas again in today's world where we are faced in multiple situations where that is challenged to you, you know, just the basic, how are you doing today, right? Where, you know, the stock answer is to say, I'm great. You know, even if you're not feeling great, nobody wants to hear your problems, right? So you're already faced in the morning when you're looking at your email, you've got, you know, 100 people asking you, how are you doing today? And so you just type out the, oh, great, thanks. Um, beautiful Monday. And, and so we're, we're already pushed in a way towards this conformity, towards norms, towards expectations, which in most situations is harmless, right? Just saying, have a nice day, um, is, is harmless in itself. But when you take that to think about living joyfully, and how continuing to live against your values, for example, that core level of authenticity becomes a huge problem. Um, and I was just talking earlier today to somebody called Darman Phillips about conflict resolution in relationships. And one of the core issues um, we were talking about was how people with different values end up in this conflict because they're constantly been unauthentic and that's either going to hurt the other person or they're going to hurt themselves in that process it's kind of like a drip 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 into a bucket eventually overflows so when you spoke of how are you today on occasion i may be sitting in a restaurant or a cafe and the wait person will say how are you i'll say well if you really want to know pull up a chair <laughs> um, i i I walked by um, a, a gentleman, uh, an African man who used to park cars at a restaurant and I had gotten friendly with him. And I was walking by, they head out for a cup of coffee and I said, hi Jacques, how are you? He smiled and he said, I can't complain. Mm. I thought about that and I considered it could mean two different things. I have nothing to complain about or I couldn't let myself complain. On my way back, I encountered him again and I asked him and he struggled. I said, Jacques, which is it? He said, well, the truth is the way I was raised, I was taught you shouldn't complain. I said, well, there's no point in my asking you, how are you? I'm truly curious. Mm -hmm. See, I, I, we shouldn't pass each other by as strangers operating from a script because don't you think that impacts the ability to be joyful when we betray our own authenticity? Definitely, definitely. I think it's one of the, the biggest challenges we have in that, you know, self-love is one of the foundations of joyful living, right? If you don't love yourself, you're not really capable of authentically loving others, let alone loving the planet on which we're living. So if you're not being authentic, if you're not genu being genuinely true to yourself, 
that eats away at your self-love, right? Every time you look at the mirror, you're seeing this imposter. And that can be hugely damaging over time. It's, it's rather like we become robotic, operating from a script, which is, to me, diametrically opposed to authenticity. So in, in my field, practicing psychotherapy, um, I look at authenticity in regard to authentic self-esteem. Mm-hmm. I use that term, authentic self-esteem. And for me, authentic self-esteem, which I would correlate to joyfulness, suggests that I'm going to be true to myself, genuine to myself. And I may hope that you like me or approve of me, but I won't betray myself to try to get you to like me or think well of me. In other words, as a culture, to whatever extent it may be, different for you uh, across the ocean. But here in the U.S., there is so much of what I call other esteem, which is that by appearing a certain way and acting a certain way, we can get other people to approve of us or like us. And to me, that's a betrayal of self as I'm manipulating self to elicit a response from others. That is other esteem, a term I use. And I would think that that's the opposite of joyfulness and authenticity. Yeah, I think so. But do you find when you, you look at that, that that is because of this lack of authentic self-esteem, people are filling that with this other esteem, right? Filling that void in a way. V- very much so. But I, here we are educated and acculturated to do that, which is, Many people, when they're young, are giving messages of to be concerned about what other people think of them. Mm. And so as, as a theme, if I'm more concerned about what I think someone else thinks of me than being true to myself, then I am not on my path to a joyfulness or authenticity. Yeah. It doesn't mean I disregard them or I don't have sensitivity or caring, but it's like a seesaw. If I put myself in the down position and put them up, mm. that's going to work out. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I could talk to you forever about my, my childhood of, of being raised a Catholic in, in the UK and, and what that does for your authenticity and genuineness. It, it's definitely a huge challenge when you're brought up in that type of environment where you're told constantly you know, to behave a certain way, to make an appearance um, and to to not show your real self or your, your real situation. So, you know, when that's drummed into people from a, from a young age, it's definitely then hard to unlearn as an adult. And how do you try to break free from that toward your goal of joyfulness? Yeah. That's a good question. I think the first one is, is the self-awareness, you know, actually being aware of the problem in the first place to not just sweep it under the carpet and, or say that's how it has to be. Um, that's how it's always been. So to understand that one has the power to choose, one has the power to follow that road or one has the power to say, no, um, that's not me. I'm starting to learn who I am and I'm comfortable with the person I see in the mirror. 
I'm comfortable with the voice I hear in my head and I'm happy to let that voice out. It's part of the process. So in a way, it's about learning to not, not make excuses or justifications for not allowing yourself to be genuine. Correct, yes, this self-awareness, I think, is, is key to it in a way, because if you don't understand who you are, it's so easy to just follow somebody else, right? Or to follow some other doctrine or dogma and say, yeah. that's who I am, because you don't know who you are really. And in that case, virtually everyone is following this made up doctrine that everyone else is following. So um, this becomes a blow to authentic self-esteem and it, it fortifies insecurity and self-doubt because we're not invested in ourselves. <laughs> we're invested in what we think other people think. Right, and when you get feedback, negative feedback from that other cohort um, who you thought you were appealing to, that can again become hugely damaging. Right, that you thought what you were going to say was going to appeal to this group and they laugh at you or they ignore you or whatever, right? And you thought, well, I've hung my, my authenticity on belonging to this group and all of a sudden I'm rejected. Ah, but could they be laughing or even ridiculing out of their own insecurity and their own discomfort? So we set them up as the judge, with them in quotes. Mm. So I, I'm fond of saying everyone has an opinion, but when we elevate someone's opinion to a judgment, we're doing that. They're not my judge. They're just right. people, right? Why do you think we do that? Why do we project this greater authority onto other people? You spoke of the Catholic upbringing. Well, that could be one example, yet there are so many non-Catholics who do it as well. Right, definitely. I think part of it's a comfort thing in a way. I think there is a comfort to giving somebody else responsibility hmm. and not having to take that responsibility yourself. Um, I think that is part of the reason for this. And, and is that the way you were raised or part of Catholicism? Or do you think that's more a universal experience? I think that's more of a universal one that I don't think that's particularly my experience or Catholicism, but I feel that, you know, many people are in some way happy to not take responsibility for themselves and are happy to belong to a group in. And let the group decide. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's against their opinion or not, then they will just go with that opinion. Which would of course be, antithetical to leadership correct right correct yeah to feel comfortable in leadership we don't surrender our authority to others but what you're describing may also be why the world is the way it is as we give power over to leaders who are often counterfeit leaders right Definitely, I think that that's part of it. And I think it's also a struggle for leaders who want to be more authentic leaders. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of leaders who are brought up in the classical neo-capitalist um, system, but are personally 
seeing their values change at the moment, seeing that they are more interested in broader well-being, not just financial well-being, but you know, the well-being of their people, the well-being of the planet. And I see them somewhat struggling to be authentic in their own leadership, where this is somewhat challenged still by the old school um, that they belong to. Yeah, a thought that is occurring to me as you're talking about this is that throughout the world, many governments or the majority of governments might feel threatened if people develop their own inner leadership and became more challenging to the forces that govern them um, without moving into a conspiracy of this idea. Uh, there's a correlation right. between authentic democracy and the ability for the people in that uh, nation to develop an inner leadership, which I think would be the exception. Yeah, I can definitely see that, that tension within that. Um, and I suppose the added tension with the communication tools we have today is that, you know, these individuals with their own authenticity can group together to create authentic groups, which may then challenge the inauthentic leadership. Yeah, I, you know, I think it perhaps also begins, and I don't know about your education in England. Um, did, did you go to religious school? Yes, I had the nuns teaching me. Okay. So I, I went to a traditional uh, education here in the U.S., but our educational system does not cultivate or promote authenticity. Mm. Uh, for example, education here is primarily about digesting and being able to regurgitate data and facts, mm -hmm. what we call knowledge. But that's not educational, and it's not enlightening. enlightening. We don't cultivate asking great questions, which would be mm. stimulating and would be intellectually curious and generative. It's answers. And perhaps part of the problem is authenticity requires more than sitting there in a robotic way and digesting data. But if I have a question or I want to challenge something, I should feel comfortable doing it. And yet educationally, and as you refer to in family dynamics, and cultural system, we don't. We feel like we're stepping out and taking a risk, don't we? We do, we do. And I think this issue of conformity and, and, you know, when you talk about the US, we have this image here of the US being very individualistic. And therefore, you know, you would associate individualistic with authenticity as a potential connection. But from what you're saying, there's still a disconnect. It's individual, yes, but it's conforming individualism i you know my view of individualism um well it's skewed by my personal beliefs as all of our views are skewed um in in the new book that i wrote which is based upon theories of quantum physics i speak of reality as being essentially inseparable mm. oneness i come at it from science not from mysticism Okay. And yet, I think that our thinking is still rooted in 17th century science, particularly Newton and Descartes, which spoke of a clock-like or a machine-like universe where we are separated individuals. So to me, 
the excess of individualism leads to intense competition, insensitivity, um, a, a loss of collaboration and compassion and empathy. So individualism has its place, like finding my authentic voice, but remembering that I am part of a whole. Right. In the U.S., I see individualism, and I'm generalizing now, of course, as a loss mm-hmm. of the values of compassion and empathy or joy. These right. are not the values in, in the American culture. The values are achievement and success and ego gratification, which are all extremely individualistic. Yeah, I think, you know, when you think about it and you think about music, I like to think about music of orchestras or jazz where you've got, you know, different instruments, different voices, but they're all playing towards the same result, the same purpose. You know, Mm -hmm. so you've got individual performers, but when they come together, the whole is greater than the the sum of the parts. That's a beautiful analogy. And I've written about that. And I use the word concert. They're Mm. operating in concert. They're all individual musicians, but they're operating as part of the whole. And so there's harmony in concert there. Um, You know, um, an ant colony operates from collective intelligence, Mm. operate as a whole. So in concert, that the orchestra is beautiful. And what does the word disconcert mean? A loss of a fragmentation. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you can maintain the individual self and be respectful as part of the whole. That's the ideal. Do you see that description prevailing much in your pursuit of joyfulness? I see more and more of a desire to go in that direction. I still think it's still the minority of people that are desiring to work that way. We still have this perception of what is success, what is status, money. Those those drivers are still very much um, seen in this individual world that we're living in. But I do see a shift towards more collaboration, towards more um, working together as groups, wanting to belong to tribes, to different cohorts where people are like-minded, where you can be genuine because you have that social network of people who feel like you and it's you're not the strange person in the room to say, I, I care about joy, um, I want to believe in love. You know, these are acceptable things to say within these groups and I see that part of society definitely growing desire for people to to move in that direction but they're being pulled back all the time by conformity to the status quo to the expectations of family friends relatives uh, work all these pressures and yet as, as we said earlier and all of those people that we may be sublimating or subordinating to they're operating from the same thesis. So in a way, there's a mass misinformation, if not ignorance, which is, you know, when we hear an expression like, they say, you know, what we call common wisdom, which is not very wise or common sense, they say, I often say, well, who are they? Who's the they? 
right. operating, that we're following their beliefs. Common sense, to me, turns out to be very nonsensical. But this default to what we think they think, um, I think completely impedes authenticity. Yet, as you pointed out, the joy of the kindred connection with others is powerful. But we can be connected with others and still have differing points of view, couldn't we? I think that's a fascinating point that you raise because when you do look at the world and you look at the world in particularly through the lens of the internet and the ends of the lens of social media and the huge potential that that has to connect people and the actual reality in today's world that it's driving people apart in in many ways it's polarizing forming these little echo chambers so to speak um, i see this sort of challenge in that area where in principle it's a wonderful thing and we can connect with like-minded people but we need to avoid this um echo chamber this hate for somebody with opposite opinions which seems to be the status quo amongst politicians amongst the media um, which are driving this divisive behavior and i i see a pathway through that is to not argue facts I find that something that can really open up a conversation rather than argue facts, which gets us nowhere, Mm. is to ask someone, how did you come to that belief? So, for example, if I'm speaking with someone who is, who I find to be racist or prejudiced, it serves me no, it will serve no end to try to change their mind. But if I ask, how did you come to that belief? And there's a pause. And then, well, everyone knows that. Well, I don't know that. My friends don't. So how did you come to your belief? Well, it's how I was raised. It's what my parents said. Oh, so if you were born into my family with my parents, you'd have a different belief. Ah, I guess so. Ah, so we have different beliefs because we have different experiences. Now we've separated from the argument about what's true and false. Mm, that's, that is really clever to do it that way. And that opens a door, right? I, I first learned this giving a talk one evening on the change process. Mm. And uh, a gentleman in the audience stood up and asked a question. It was evident that he did not believe in change. All right. And I was about to go after him in a debate, actually, and I stopped. And I asked him a question which I had never asked before. He said, so you don't believe in change? You don't think people can change? He said, that's right. And I then asked the pivotal question, how did you come to that belief? So he shared his family history. Mm. And I did just what I suggested earlier. So if you were my brother with my experiences, you might have a different belief. Now we can have a conversation. Take facts and turn them into beliefs. Now, beliefs aren't right or wrong, and they're fungible. I can change my belief more easily than I can change my identity. That is such a clever way of doing it. I'm impressed. I'm going to try that one definitely more and more. 
And instead of arguing the facts as a, as a researcher, I'm obviously very fond of arguing the facts. So to step back from that. I have never changed anyone's opinion by arguing facts. Um, mm. Thomas Jefferson, you know, America is so America-centric, we can cite a politician and think the whole world knows who he is. <laughs> but Thomas Jefferson, a great American president, um, said, I've never heard of an example of two disputants convincing each other through facts. Mm -hmm. Facts don't change people's opinions. When I hear um, political debate in this country, I would be eager to counsel one of the politicians, clearly the one whose side I agree with, and say to him, listen, don't argue the fact. Say to the other person, how did you come to that belief? Yeah. It's funny, it's not a question that's been heard in these political debates, at least uh, the ones I've listened to. Nobody's ever actually asked that question of the other politician. Or actually leaning into the accusation that you've been charged with. Going back a long time, when John Kerry was running for president against George Bush, this is now maybe 20 years ago, um, George, John Kerry was charged with being a flip-flopper, someone who changes their opinion. Mm. And I thought, Kerry's response should not have been, no, I'm not a flip-flopper. He should have said, you know, when I'm confronted with new information, I can reflect and change my mind. That's a good thing. Why would you call that flip-flopping? In other words, there's power in coming out of predictability. Mm. Definitely, especially in today's world, you know, where we're faced with so much transformation in the world happening on so many different levels, whether that's, you know, economic, political, societal, mm -hmm. um, climate, whatever angle you take, there are all these changes happening at the moment. So your ability to understand yourself and where you stand within this different spectrum is so fundamental for your ability to make the right choices moving forward so that's why i'm so keen on this topic of authenticity and people taking the time to understand themselves and, and, and that requires embracing some uncertainty and being able to say i'm not sure right. i don't know i'll have to give that some thought right. great question i've never thought about that Correct. embracing not knowing is an important piece of authenticity I would think. Yeah, I would think so. And to necessarily, okay, yes, listen to your own voices. Um, but I would also suggest listening to other people, right? Especially your loved ones. So you ask them, right? Ask them. Yeah, How I, do they I, see I, you? Yes. And, 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 and further to that, ask them how they came to that opinion. Right. What influenced them? Hmm. Is to, okay. to truly know each other. We need to ask deeper questions, not like a prosecutor trying to make a point, but out of curiosity. I find for joyfulness, my deepest relationships and friendships require a deepening knowing of each mm. other, where I'm curious. So I don't just operate on the surface of, the, of what right. we're saying, but wow, what were your experiences or beliefs to help you come to that position? Well, 
you know, you're so lucky because, you know, with your focus on authenticity, with that comes as a bonus, I think, curiosity. Exactly. Right. It's a, it's a bonus ball, right? You, you, you focus on your authenticity and all of a sudden you're finding out you're being more curious, not just about yourself, but about others. You're asking these questions. You're going deeper into yourself, but into your relationships with others, into how you fit into the world. And so what a great double gift that is to be both authentic and curious. And, and that's precisely this very good point you're making. And for me, that might even be around the use of a word or an expression. Because I've come to realize that a word or expression may mean a different thing to you mm. than to me. And to truly appreciate what you're saying, I might ask, what does that word mean to you? I want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. That is a key element I use in communication, mm. particularly with couples, which is, Let's not argue about the word until we have a shared meaning. What does the word mean to you? Yeah. And again, you know, my life as a researcher, that was one of the key things I always said to the young researchers I worked with, that avoid assumptions from your own belief systems, from what you feel this word means. Communication doesn't happen until the other person translates your words into something else. And that is your goal as a researcher to understand what that, how that communication is received, not how it is communicated. And then they go, oh, right, okay. And it totally flips the coin because we're so focused on our own words, we forget that no communication has happened until the other person has processed and received those, those words. And we need to check back in and make sure of that yeah. you can't operate from assumption. So I'm, you know, in, in closing for today, I'm very, um, I'm very, my curiosity and interest is very piqued by looking at the interface of joyfulness, the heart and passion of your work, mm -hmm. and authenticity, which is core to my work, um, is an aspect of my work, but my Ultimately, I try to help people become more authentic so that they right. can prosper in their lives. Final question for you, which may be the easiest of today, Andrew. <laughs> if, any, if any listeners would like to get in touch with you, how do they contact you? Well, that's a very simple question, definitely. Um, the art and science of joy is or was free game on, on the whole internet. Um, before we, we took it. So no matter where you go on YouTube, the web, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all you've got to do is type in one word, the art and science of joy, and you'll find us and you'll find me behind that. So so definitely that's the easy way to that to do it. So, so likewise, Mel, I, I obviously need to ask the same question to you, sir. Um, how are people going to find you when they need to find you? Well, the easiest way is my website, which is my name, melschwartz.com, M-E-L-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. It was great pleasure meeting you and talking with you today, and I hope to continue our dialogue. 
Definitely, Mel. Thank you so much for talking to me about authenticity today and letting me share my thoughts with you too. Well, wishing you a joyful life. Indeed, and an authentic one. Absolutely. I hope you, our listeners, feel inspired and empowered by my chat with Mel today about the importance of authenticity to our well-being and have learned some tips and tricks for using the superpower of authenticity to add some more joy to your own life as well as to the lives of your loved ones. If so, why not hop onto social media and using the hashtag joy superpowers, share how being authentic is bringing you joy. And if you don't already do so, please follow the art and science of joy on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Come and join in the conversation and help spread the joy. Thanks once again for listening. And I hope you tune in next week for the next episode of the Art and Science of Joy podcast. And we'll be talking with Paulette Dale on the joy superpower of assertive communication. Thank you.